Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Today in history, in 1943, the Battle of Kursk is the largest tank battle in history. That starts... Welcome to What the Fuck History, where we discuss the wackiest and weirdest things that make us say, well, what the fuck, history. I am your favorite partially Irish bloke, Zachary, and I have not kissed the Blarney Stone, uh, and neither should you. It's fucking disgusting. My name's Megan, and now I'm tempted to kiss the Blarney Stone. Don't do if, it! It's what gross! What if it gives you powers? It doesn't. And I'm Matt. Today I learned there is a literal graveyard for old Ben and Jerry's flavors. That's like with the tombstones? Um, Yeah, they have like, it's in the, uh, it's at their headquarters. They have like a literal graveyard that you can walk through that has all the old flavors. And from like, it has like start date and end date of running the flavors i don't from what i can tell i don't know if that makes me more comfortable because we have laid those flavors to rest and i will not worry about zombie ice cream but at the same time i'm incredibly (laughs) uncomfortable uh, about the idea of giving ice cream a religious ceremony to celebrate its passing yeah, I also, like, don't know what that looks like for children that go to visit the Ben and Jerry's, like... So... You're confronted with a symbol of mortality that has nothing to do with humans and everything to do with fucking... I looked I it up. I think my only other question... Okay, um, you looked it up, and I will ask my question It's the after. flavor graveyard, so much like Flavor Town. Uh, <laughs> you can okay. go to the flavor graveyard. And it has a really charming, like, arch that has ice creams on it, (laughs) ice cream cones. And then all of the flavors have little headstones with ice cream cones with with little angel wings. (laughs) Okay. Um, My question still remains, and that is when a flavor does pass from this mortal coil... Do they give a, like, full wake and funeral to it? And, uh, Mr. Ben and Jerry, can I be invited to this wake? Is it open container? And will you be mad if I eat the body? <laughs> I I don't think that they do. I think it's really just more for, like, fun to see. I think it's because too many people were eating the body. But that's just me. Honoring that's, our that's dearly depicted flavors. <laughs> uh, depinted. De- I love it. Depinted. Um, 
depinted, yes, but she said depinted, so we can just move yeah. on from that. Okay. We give Megan enough shit for ways I she just... pronounces certain things. We have to give her shit because she won't take strikes, okay? She won't, yeah, absolutely not. Recently, yeah, when the U.S. flavor, strikes. what a cluster, melted into oblivion, we decided to go one step further wow. and hold an actual funeral at the flavor graveyard. Oh, they do hold funerals. At least once. Okay. Okay. Um, we <clears throat> Did people get to uh, eat the body? We wanted to pay our respects w- along with our mourners from miles away. And a memorial was held fit for ice cream royalty. Um, let us lower our spoons in a moment of silence. Uh, it doesn't say, okay. but the picture is really cute because it's like the smallest coffin with like we're taking a little bit too much time. There's never too much time That's for ice true. cream, all right. Matt. All right. This is true. Um, all right, everyone. Our strikes that Megan doesn't think exists have been set to zero. A game of rock, paper, scissors has been played, and the order for today is me, followed by Zachary, followed by Megan. And with that out of the way, I will go First, aggressive. I love it. My story begins in the year of our Lord, eighteen o seven, when Napoleon. Yes, Napoleon you heard it here himself? first, folks. My story is about Napoleon, Napoleon huh? himself. Napoleon himself, not Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> Napoleon Bonaparte. I know we gave the French a pass last week, and I did forgive them for all of their sins and mine. Oh, but la- oh, worry not, Zach. This is a story where we get to make fun of it. Well, that's what I'm saying. To, to this week is back to your usually scheduled French bashing. Um. You know what's interesting about Napoleon, which most people don't know, is that he was average height. Like, most people... So there's a whole complex named after him, which is the Napoleon complex, because most people depict him as this very, very short individual, but he was like 5'6". Which at that time was normal. Was normal. It was the average. I would argue five six is still normal. Five six is a is a good height. I was gonna call him a short king, but like also he's not. In today's standards, he would be short king status, but that would only be if he wasn't French. Yes, and wasn't already an emperor. I was gonna say you can't be a king and an emperor, (laughs) right? Uh, What's a god to a king? No kings, no gods. Just podcast. Just so anyways, it's it's 1807. Napoleon had just reached the height of his power, and he was riding high. Um, the treaties of Tilsit had just been signed, which ended a very long war between France and Russia. I didn't look into any of the details about why they were fighting in the first place, but I would imagine it's because Napoleon has a Napoleon complex. <laughs> Uh, get it? I just said that that was a full-ass lie. Stop it. Um, Whether you know it or not, Napoleon was a hunter, and so to celebrate the end of the war, he asked his chief of staff, uh, hang on, I do need to make sure that I say this, uh, as French as possible. Um, that's not, his name is Alexander Berthier. Um, but, you know, it's fun because French is a garbage language where the vowels don't make sense. Um, but anyways, he asks his chief of staff, Alexander Berthier, uh, to go out and collect some rabbits so that they can be hunted. 
a big like outdoor meal is prepared and some of the like top of the top from napoleon's army are invited to this meal and um they you know they sit they canoodle they talk uh and uh berthier himself sets up these cages around the field where uh these men are are sitting and eating. Okay, Matt, can I just um, pause you for yes, one second? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, uh, you can. Absolutely. I, I don't ever baby talk me again. It's my pet peeve. Anyway. Absolutely. I will fucking leave. <laughs> Zach will take all three strikes. No, no, no. no. I won't take strikes. I will strike. He'll just go. I will strike myself. <laughs> he will strike. Um, no, I apologize. So it's fine. It's not a big... It is a big deal, but it's not a big it deal. It is a big deal, and I like. I do it only sometimes to bust your mind. I know, but uh, I just want to go back to the fact that you say uh, they were uh, canoodling? Um, oh, no. Not, not actually. Okay, I was just like, did, was Napoleon hosting orgies? This is. I was just using the words that I knew. Okay. Okay. I I wanted confirmation of the canoodling or not. No. No. Canoodling was the worst word for me to use because it does. They were uh, they were kibitzing. Got it. Th- that's the one. Uh, I knew it started and kind of went in the it's same got, direction. It's a coward, you know. But yeah, no. So they were congregating and they were speaking like they were just having lunch. It was mm. a luncheon. It was brunch. Um. But uh, while they're sitting and eating, Berthier puts the cages of rabbits out. Um, now, the fun thing about this story is that it got a little precopious. Okay. And uh, some stories say that Berthier collected a colony of rabbits, which is like a few dozen per colony. They do fuck a lot, yes. They do fuck they a lot. They were And then others... And yeah, they canoodle all the fucking time. And then other stories say that he collected uh, somewhere close to 3,000 rabbits. rabbits. Okay, that's a big difference, and that's a lot of rabbits. That is a big difference. A few hundred compared to 3,000. Whatever the total was, as I mentioned, he sets the cages up around, like, a field nearby. Um, And after, after the food's done and the men got... Their guns and their um, beaters, so essentially they beat the ground, scare the rabbits, shoot the rabbits. It's all in good fun. The men grab their beaters, they begin to walk the field, and the rabbits get released. I've never been hunting, so I can't imagine that I would react any differently if this same scenario happened to me. Uh, But what happened is that instead of running away... The bunnies ran straight towards Napoleon and his group <laughs> of like, hunters. It's vicious. It's got big teeth. <laughs> Let us join him. <laughs> so as like as these bunnies begin to run in the direction of the hunters, most of the men start laughing. They're like, "Surely this is a joke. This is the easiest, you know, rabbit hunt we've ever been on." Uh, but the bunnies continue to approach. And the men start to square up for, like, a battle. Um, Napoleon himself tries shooing the bunnies off with his riding crop as they're, like, charging into him and his men. And the bunnies are not taking no for an answer, so they start to, like, ram into his legs and climb up his legs and his jacket. I guess it's scary enough. Oh, yeah. 
Well, if it's 3,000 bunnies... Yeah, that's a lot of bunnies. I don't know that it's actually 3,000, but imagine just a wave of furry creatures no, running directly at it, you. I think paints it a good Like, picture. if I saw a group of squirrels oh, yeah. coming in my direction, I'd probably shit my pants. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. So eventually, the army of bunnies forces Napoleon to retreat to his uh, carriage. And what's really interesting, and I wish I had the correct quote, but I paraphrased it here um there was a historian that uh reported on this and said that the rabbits appeared to display more understanding of combat than most of napoleon's generals <laughs> and they broke off into two separate wings and attacked uh flooding their way towards the roast. imperial carriage what an absolute a few of them managed singer an absolute roast of the man himself a few of them managed to get inside before the carriage was able to start speeding off, and Napoleon was able to pick these bunnies up and throw them out of the carriage. So, they're doing exactly what he wanted. They're coming with. They're trying to come with. Right. Them. No, I think like, I think the whole point of a hunt is that you don't want the thing to just lumber up to you well, and then, lay down. Yeah, but. Which is exactly the what hunt these is a lot were. easier. Well, I mean, I guess they weren't really laying down, but they did make the job substantially yeah, easier. I just, I'm just laughing, and I'm sorry if I'm stealing this punchline from you, Matt, because mm -hmm. I don't know if it's in your notes. But uh, I'm just laughing that even not in a wartime, the French find a way to surrender and retreat. <laughs> No, definitely wasn't in my notes, but I I should have had it. <laughs> I'm happy this that you a, knew that. This is an embarrassing surrender. This is an embarrassing retreat. Um, so it it turns out that the reason uh this ended up being a problem uh was eventually laid at the feet of Alexandre Berthere because he he didn't get wild rabbits. Oh. He got tame ones. Oh, no. No. So, like, legitimately, the rabbits believed that people being there meant that they were going to get fed. And so instead of running away from the people, they ran to them because people were their primary source of Great. food. And then they rioted when there was no food. <laughs> and then They're they like, There's rioted. no bread. And so... These rabbits, this army of 3,000 rabbits, handed Napoleon one of his first humiliating losses in ground combat. And eight short years later, he would also suffer a humiliating loss. At yeah, but, but maybe not as humiliating as this loss. Not as humiliating as being bested by rabbits. No, but still. Pretty bad. Mm. But yeah, no, I, 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 I loved this whole fucking researching this was just so much fun and again it's one of those things where like i found this story because i was just browsing the internet and it's like you guys ever hear about that time that napoleon got attacked by three thousand rabbits and i was like i have not and i have two friends that would probably love to hear this story i have not heard it please tell I... me more <laughs> yeah please oh i love that okay Oh yeah, no, for sure. You're good. You're Don't fine. Worry. I'm You're good. I'm sitting here drinking a Moxie because mm, Moxie. I'm an old person. So 
so Zach, to your point of um not enjoying being baby voiced. Yes. Uh the other day Abby and I were in a car together. Yeah. And she's just like, What would you do if I talked in a baby voice? And I was like, I would dump you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not I was a like, it's ex- it's acceptable sometimes when you're talking to animals. I was like, it's never acceptable when you're talking to adult people. Okay, but it's, it, it I, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stammering here because I don't even talk to animals that way. Like, I have had German shepherds for most of my life growing up, and it was mm-hmm. okay. You're here. You are my pal. Great dog, but also. <laughs> sit stay good dog you know roll over come here drop it fetch yeah. like it, it was you you yeah it, yeah see i mean i guess i don't really go full baby voice when i'm talking to my dog it's mostly just like me going who's a good girl yeah like but it's i even i think that that's different because that's like that's animal talk you would not talk yeah. to a baby like who's a good baby i might <laughs> Don't put it past me. I mean, but I don't even talk to children that way. Like, some people are like, oh, my God, you're such a cute kid. How are you? Oh, my God. And I'm like, hello, little one. Yeah. (laughs) I do that with all the kids at my work, too. Yeah. Where, like, I'll walk around and they'll start screaming. And I'm like, that was an incredibly inappropriate thing for you to say. And I need you to knock it off. Also, dear listeners at home, as Megan is returning, if you'd like to hear more of our stupid shenanigans that happen off mic, because I'm going to keep this in the episode, go sign up for our Patreon. Look up Triumvirate Productions on Patreon, where you can hear what the fuck after dark. After dark. <laughs> Shameless plug. Shameless. And with that, Megan, are you yeah, all Yeah, I you swallowed good? wrong, and I was like, oh my god, I, <laughs> I'm dying here. Um I'm glad you are all set and alive and not choking on spit. Or oh, water. God. I, I was like, I have something to say. Never mind. I, I can't. Oh, God, I can't. Never mind. The uh, the Lord the has, taken has taken me, taken much voice. like those. The Lord like has taken me into his gentle embrace. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, now that my story is over and Megan is back with uh, hydration. Remember, kids, stay hydrated. Well, you gotta stay hydrated. Uh, you gotta stay hydrated. Zach, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Are you continuing this oh, week? Oh, yes. For the third okay. episode in a row, I did promise this would be a running thing. He did promise. I am proud to present... Heinous gentlemen of history. <laughs> he says. There should be a different theme song. There is. I, I, I edited it. Oh, I edited it in my own theme song. you have a heinous gentleman of themes. Oh, nice. Yes. I love that that exists. I don't ever listen to this podcast. So. <laughs> we just talk. We don't listen. That's true. <laughs> um, but today I will be talking about someone who, yes, is in fact as Irish as they come. From my introduction, if you remember, a little callback, a little, a little comedy. Uh, yeah, little, yeah, yeah, Blarney Stones. Yeah, Blarney Stones and such. Um, but not <laughs> <laughs> not only was this heinous gentleman an Irishman, he was known as the Irish Robin Hood. The Irish Robin Hood. Yes. There was the already Robin Hood. an English Robin Hood. I know, but fuck the English. Oh, you're right. 
We are coming for everybody. We do it bigger and angrier. Already we're off to a great start uh, because he is the Irish Robin Hood. And what is more gentlemanly than being Robin Hood, I guess? Because uh, we are talking about James Freeney. Freeney had a code as far as his life went, and that code was simple. It was rob only those who are worth robbing. Mm-hmm. Which I understand is a little bit of a loose moral code and definitely has some loopholes. You know, worth robbing can be seen as they're rich and, you know, snobby, so we're going to show them something. Or they have what I want, and that way, therefore, they're worth robbing. <laughs> but I'm going to ignore the loopholes because he seems pretty okay in my book. <laughs> so James grew up in Kilkenny County in Ireland and he was born in 1719 to a respectable powerful family in the region for quite some time. Respectable, uh, powerful. Respectable are, and powerful. Those are our family mottos. Yes, this family is respectable. That's my family motto. <laughs> respectable and powerful. So the seat actually even had a the seat had a family. Wow, fuck. The family even had a seat at Ballyready Castle since about the 13th century. However, in 1650, before James was even born, the family loses all of their lands and the status that they held. Uh, they lost it for a few reasons, and honestly, it's not really that relevant. All you need to know is rich and powerful family, no longer rich and powerful. But it is a great origin story, right? Like, let's be honest. I know, it is good. Yeah. No, for sure. Family, man, uh, this guy, his family was once born now wealthy. What, uh, blah, 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 hey, blah. bud. Yeah. If you need a doctor, mm-hmm. just yeah. say so, and we will send one to you. I don't smell toast, so we're okay. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. But yes, yeah, so his family, once born of wealth, is now diminished. Starting to sound like Robin Hood to me. So, James gets a very good education, despite uh, the diminished status of his family. He, his dad, at this point, is working as a servant in a house, and James ends up actually being tutored in the house with the children of the family that his father is working for. Um, And he ends up marrying one of the daughters of the family, and he opens up a pub with his wife, Anne. I don't want to talk about how stereotypically Irish that is, but... I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yep. I, guess, I guess there's a reason for the stereotype. I guess, hey. but, like, also... <laughs> there are worse stereotypes than settling down with a good missus and opening up a pub. And opening a successful business. You know what? They, you're right. You're right. There are a lot worse There are definitely worse ones than being just a good entrepreneur. Being a successful businessman with a happy wife. Oh, oh, but Matt and Megan, that's that's where I got to stop you. Uh-oh. That's where I got to stop you. Because this is the mid-1700s, and at this time, the British government is doing absolutely wild things with penal laws in Ireland. Penal is a funny word. Uh, yes, it is. But uh, it is... Ireland at this point is technically under the British rule and is considered a penal colony. And like Australia, speaking of when we were saying don't fuck spiders earlier. um, Yeah. And 
the British government is charging ridiculous taxes to people in Ireland. How fitting that this episode is being recorded the day after the Independence Day of the United States of America. That's true. Although I will not speak too much about that because you're still in trouble, America. Get the get back in your corner and shut the fuck up. That's true. Anyway. I, I heard before recording there was like the a leftover fireworks finale, like somewhere near my house. I'm like, oh, guys, no. it's over. We get it. Things go boom. We shut get the it. fuck up. To sidetrack briefly, yes. someone said something last night that was like a bunch of people sitting around waiting for something to explode is the most aggressively American thing that's possible. <laughs> that's so true. And I could not disagree. Yeah. And then later on when people were clapping for the fireworks display, I was like, Americans clapping because something exploded is the most aggressively American thing. <laughs> yeah. But anyways. No, 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 you're right. And I know I didn't say we were going to talk about fireworks and Independence Day, but like, you know what? I guess we're gonna. Just a tiny bit. But anyway, so the British government is taxing the shit out of a lot of people in Ireland. Uh, Freeney was unable to pay the taxes and the fees on the land and the business, because the British were basically using penal colony law to force Irish people into very specific, very shitty jobs. And I'm assuming you can guess that that did not include being a business owner. So James Freeney and his wife end up having to pack up the business and, well, stop the pub because of these taxes. And they have to pack up and they move back to his hometown where... James falls in with the Kelly Mount Highway Gang. And at the time, the Kelly Mount Highway Gang are, like, very local, very small. They're kind of like, oh, yeah, we're going to pull a few jobs here, pull a few jobs there. You know how it is. Just make a little bit of money. It's a penal colony. We get it. It's criminals. Uh, we, <laughs> so, we get it. You, you're crimesmen. We get it. You're crimesmen. You're crimesmen. So Freeney and the Kelly Mount Gang start to ply their trade. Their tri- trade uh, being robbery, and they do it in the local area. But here's the best part about what they do. Because most of the places that they rob, or the things that they rob, are coaches. And these coaches that they rob are transporting, you guessed it, tax money. Nice. Ooh, girl. Taxes. James and the Kelly Mount Gang are just like, so you want to tax me and my people up the ass? I'm just going to take it back from you. Uh, well, you know. Yeah. So the Kelly Mount Gang ends up gaining some notoriety and they get a little bit bigger. And they actually end up expanding to like five different counties of just being like, well, we're out on the road and we're going to rob some they people. They started franchising out. They didn't really franchise. They just kind of decided that, like, we're getting really good at this one area. Let's see if we can make it a bit bigger. Oh, okay. They just, they started leveling up. Exactly. They're just like, level up. Level up. (laughs) I didn't mean to stutter, but it worked that time. (laughs) So, (laughs) they're robbing these stagecoaches, and they're robbing a lot of these wealthy elite. uh, And they... So they're robbing these these wealthy elite, these stagecoaches, these societal bigwigs. But they, as I said, they did have a code. Or at least James did, and he started implementing it into the rest of the gang. And 
the code that I mentioned was that you only steal from people who are worth it. And in this case, it was also a kind of way they ended up coming with like this thieves honor, I guess. You know, we always joke and talk about like honor among thieves in modern day society, but these guys really lived it because they were instructed and as part of the gang to always remain polite in their encounters. Yeah. And if anything that they stole had sentimental value or a purpose with the person that they stole it from, it was promptly returned to the owner. This there's definitely a theme with your gentleman crimesmen, right? Where they're mm-hmm. committing these crimes, but they're so polite about it. They're just like, "Oh, excuse me." Yeah, Megan, me. he's not talking about dickbag crimesmen. Dickbag crimesmen, the antithesis. It's gentleman crimesmen. Yes, it is gentleman crimesmen. But like, also, I think it's it is a me personal thing because I I am not a crimesman. I do not claim to be a crimesman. However, if I if I was a crimesman, I would like to think of myself as the gentleman thief. Uh, the gentleman crimesman. I, I, I laugh because I was talking with some coworkers today. This is a small sidetrack, but it does relate back. Uh, I was talking with some coworkers today, and we were talking about the whole uh, meme thing where it's like, you can get $10 million right now, but there's an immortal snail chasing you, and if it touches you, you die. Would you take it? Yes. And I said yes, but then I would take that $10 million and I'd bankroll a bunch of art heists after that and become an international art thief, a gentleman art thief. Because if I have a snail chasing me, why not also have Interpol chasing me? It's true. Absolutely. But I digress. But then Interpol weaponizes the snail. Oh no, shit, I didn't think about that. They put him in a bleacher reacher cannon and they, they start hucking it at you. They find a way to enlarge the snail to kaiju size. <laughs> well, then you always you know where the snail is, though. That is true, but it's also kaiju size. And I'm just saying, Godzilla doesn't work in scientific equations at all because a being that big, his heart would not be able to work. However, I don't right. think a snail has a heart, so I'm actually afraid. Hmm. But I, mm. I digress because now we're getting yes. off topic. So James not only robbed from the rich, but he did also give to the poor. He distributed a lot of the wealth that he stole and generally tried to be a nice guy to the disenfranchised. And just to cap it off, just to really make this like, damn, this guy actually was Robin Hood. He was also an excellent archer and known to use his fists in a pinch. However, the caveat with that is that James never actually killed anyone. He robbed a lot of people in a span of five years, made money hand over fist doing it, but he never actually committed a murder. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And this is, wow. yeah, it's, it's huge. Like, good. oh my God, you never had a robbery go wrong. No one ever died because of you and your gang. Yeah, I feel but- like that's hard as a crimesman. It's exceptionally hard as a crimesman, I assume. I'm, again, not a crimesman, but I assume it's hard not to, you know, cause some civilian casualties. Cause some extra damage whilst doing crimes. Yeah, exactly. It never always goes according to plan. Um, but he That's true. was apparently a very charming person and a very fun person to be around, and he used his wit and his charm to always get out of situations and never actually did the murder most foul. But that's really important because in 1749, James is captured and set to be hung. But he is never actually hung because they're like, well, he didn't actually kill anyone. He's just like, too no polite. One, he's too polite. No one died. They only died of politeness, I guess. But yeah, so since he... They overdosed on <laughs> Overdosed on sweetness. So, since he never killed anyone, they were like, we're not going to hang him. However, there's a little bit of a caveat to that as well. Lots of caveats. Uh, it's speculated that he also wasn't hung because it would have turned him into a folk hero for the people people of Ireland. And Oh, a D&D class! Exactly. He would have just been have had folk hero status and the people would have been like, you killed this guy that we liked. Go fuck yourselves and would have rioted. Um, you know, there's... You know, that, that'll come along anyway, with or without this man. But we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> so, he ends up being forced to emigrate as part of a deal not to be hung until dead by the neck. And he ends up leaving Ireland for a bit and kind of traveling. And while he travels, he writes an autobiography. Which I have not read, because uh, I learned about it today. <laughs> I, I knew about this man. I learned about it. Yeah, pretty much. I knew about this man. I did not know about his autobiography. Um, But it's an autobiography that he writes. And funny enough, in the autobiography, he never actually mentions any of the times he used his stolen wealth to pay people's rent, give general loans, or help the poor at all. It ends up coming all from outside sources who are later like, no, 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 this guy, like, is the reason why I'm alive today. This guy wow. paid my rent so that the British did not come in and just so throw me humble. from my home. No. Super humble, what a, super nice. A humble what gentleman, a gentleman, robber. What a gentleman. A gentleman till the end, that one. And he ends up returning to Ireland uh, before he dies. So he ends up dying. Die. on it. Yeah, pretty much. He ends up getting allowed to come home and die on his native soil, which I think is a... I think that's nice, though. Like, he comes home, like, the returning legend, the hero. Yeah. And he was. He was a hero to the people. Like, these... He not only, like, helped out in his small town with what he did, like, but as I said, that gang expanded to five, like, several different counties. And in all of those counties, in all of those places, he was like, I just stole a lot of money. I'm not going to use all of it. You need to pay your rent or else they're going to evict you have the money wild yeah and it's it's wild and it's awesome and that is the story of I, the gentleman crimesman i really like this series that you're doing 
Uh, I also like this. I I have so many more. Like I have a list compiled, and I'm gonna be doing this for a while. I might take a break every now and then. Like you should probably split it up a bit. Yeah, I will. Uh, I think what I'll end up doing is like. He sounded so sad. He was like, I guess. I guess, but it's it's such just such a fun like topic to talk about too. I get it. Because it definitely is. That's how I feel with every Ronald Reagan story. It's like I guess I'll take a break. I, I think what I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to end up, like, doing maybe one or two more of these and then going back to, like, regular shenanigans. And then all of a sudden, I'm just going to play the fucking theme song for you. And you're going to be like, oh, shit, here's what's going on. I'm so ready for it. We'll, we'll <laughs> you're like... just going to all of a sudden hear... I feel like you're going to pavlov us, though, into... Gentleman crimes. Like, us getting ready for gentleman crimes. <laughs> you never know what it's going to And gonna then you're going to tell us a story that has nothing to do with gentleman crimes? Yeah, but that's the thing. They're gentlemen cri- gentleman crimesmen. You don't know when they're going to come. They're, you're, oh. you're not expecting a gentleman crimesman at your door, but aha, there he is. Oh, there he is. Oh, Lord, he coming. Oh, Lord, he coming. Yes. All right. We should move on. All right. We should. All right. All right. Megan, all right. tell me your story of woe. Of woe? <laughs> I don't... Yeah, I mean, I just assume. I don't. You have had a through line this entire time that's, of that's not true sad, sad. sometimes not not always not always no not always but like you do have a reputation for having very i was gonna stories. say the eel pulling wasn't depressing but people did die so <laughs> okay well that was one time just one that time one time that they died from <laughs> eel pulling anyway uh tell us the name of your notes men need to do less and more at the same time that's the name of the yeah. notes? That's the story of my life. Yeah. That <laughs> That reminds me of fucking uh, Attack on Titan Abridged. You just gotta stay loose, loose and <laughs> tight, tight at the same, at the same time. time. Yeah, so that's what I think men need to do. And this story. Again, story of my life. I am a man. <laughs> I need to do less and more. Um, so... But I'm a Muppet of a man. I'm not Sorry. a Muppet. Uh, I, don't... I, I am two Muppets no, in a trench just coat. Wants to have, I... Zach just wants to have a musical yeah, movie. Zach just, I'm a I man. Like, always. All right, all right, all right, all right. That's like... <laughs> I'm the dad of this podcast, and I am getting us back on track. I, okay, all right, here I go. Um, so I think I have found a hill to die on. Another one? Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to call you out like that but like i mean we have a lot of hills and we're dying on all of them all right i found another hill to die on so that way i can assess both all of the hills for the best view anyway the feng shui if you will um so this hill that i'm gonna die on is that husbands are nothing but trouble okay um in most cases I'm not saying that I won't believe that there is an outlier good guy husband out there, but for the most part, my Yelp review on the product would be zero out of five stars. His name is Gomez Adams, and we've talked about this well, before. He, he's anyway. the outlier. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's the outlier, and he's like... Gomez Adams fuck. Yeah, he does. <laughs> we a know thousand that. Percent. He is the good guy, and like Morticia is leaving the one five-star review. On the Amazon product. This is true. 
Yeah. All right. She's fair. like, right. I, this is great. Everyone should get married. And everyone else is just like, I don't know. I'm prematurely aging and he can't do anything. Uh, anyway, now we can point to a lot of reasons for such a negative review of husbands. But on this particular occasion, I'm going to explain the age old practice of wife selling. You heard it here, folks. Wife selling. Um, it sounds exactly how it is. I'm not going to keep you guessing. It was an invented custom originating back in 17th century England because divorce was expensive and a practical impossibility for all but the wealthiest. You know, when it's in between getting divorced and eating, sell your wife. I'm, I'm just going to say it. Practice polyamory if you're just going to go that route. <laughs> just fuck you. Well, <laughs> anyway, continue. Listen, there is, there is a lot of religion um happening. leave a pineapple upside down next to your door people will get the message uh this is this is a side thing but i was in providence rhode island and there's like a big old pineapple on their uh town town hall their state big house if you will their state bird is a pineapple. no their state bird isn't a pineapple but their their state is just a swinger they Continue. got a big old big old pineapple on that building and my friend was just like yeah we got a big old pineapple i'm like man rhode island for for lovers and swingers um, rhode island fucks rhode island fucks in conclusion <laughs> <laughs> well, they got to be doing something. Yeah. They're very. They tiny. have to. They have to drown out the taste. Hey, Matt, of it's not the beer. size that counts. I know, and they have a lot of ocean to motion. Um. Anyway, so there were a few reasons for wife selling. One was to end an unsatisfactory marriage, uh, and the other was to pay off debts with the money gained. So that's Fuck. good that you have a commodity to sell. Uh, men would parade their wives with a halter or ribbon around their necks, arms, or waists and auction her off to the highest bidder, usually her lover. So, oh. ooh, spicy. Well, at just least she was getting spicy. some, you know? Yeah, at least she was getting some. Um, the purchaser was usually arranged in advance, and the sale was a symbolic separation and remarriage. However, there were times when the sale was spontaneous, and the wife, wife found herself in the hands of a complete stranger. So, uh, whoops. Uh, uh, I don't like that. that. Oh, whoops. <laughs> oh, so Oops. All, all strangers. All strangers. Oops, all problematic. All problems. All very problematic. Whoops, all problems. Oops, all misogyny. Ooh. Oops, all fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> There's a lot Sorry. of whoops happening. Uh, there are. There are a ton of whoops. It was so common. Like, this practice was so common at one point that the English philosopher John Locke wrote to the French scientist Nicolas Toynard, among other things, I have ordered you a beautiful girl to be your wife. If you do not like her after you have experimented with her for a while, you can sell her. And I think at a better price than a man received for his wife last week in London, where he sold her for four, uh, four sous a pound. I think yours okay, will bring five or six per pound because she is beautiful, young and very tender and will fetch a good price in her condition. First off, in her in her condition, condi she's like it's like new, like new, uh, good, <laughs> gently, gently used, used, good, 
near mint used. condition. Near mint. I I all right. I'm the philosophy themed. Uh, I love philosophy. I never fucking liked Locke. Well, you um, know, maybe for good reason. I was, I was more of a Hobbes guy. He was a lot more cynical, and I appreciate that. He's <laughs> more but of a Hobbes man. I. This is fucking disgusting. Fuck <laughs> <you>. <laughs> this is gross. Um, so. I really just don't like that you can put like a full ass description on a person like that. What? That she was in good condition? I don't like the idea that, like. Well, just like to describe. Like, in her condition, it's like, bro, her condition is a human being. She ate a fucking used sedan. Jeez. What makes a Subaru a Subaru? You could get some mileage (laughs) out of this one. This this wife can (sighs) fit so many meals in her. I don't know. I was going to say, slaps hood (laughs) of wife. Slaps ass. Slaps hood of wife. Slaps hood of wife. Uh, Yeah, wives (laughs) are now carves. Um, you can fit so many pounds in Give, this give me the wife facts. <laughs> can you imagine they're just like, do you have the wife facts on this this woman? And it's just her biography. She's been writing it. Uh, so the reason that wife selling became somewhat common is that before the passing of the Marriage Act of 1753, people just like agreed to a union at the age of consent, which for girls was 12 and for boys it was 14. Um, yeah, gross, but we are only living to 30, ladies and gentlemen. So <laughs> okay, okay, we sure are. This is about halfway through. You hit the age of consent, and you're also having a midlife crisis. Yeah, Understood. You, yeah. You're just like, oh, no, what do I do for the rest of my 15 years? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but, like, when I was 12, though, um, I was, like, I really loved Lisa Frank. So, I... You loved what? You know Lisa Frank? Those oh pictures? Gosh. Like yeah. with the with the psychedelic dolphins and everything. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. when I was like reading, oh, the age of consent was twelve. I was like, man, what was I doing when I was twelve? And I was like, mm, Lisa Frank. Uh, I <laughs> I can't really imagine myself, you know, prepping for marriage. I was and, about to say, you yeah. said the age of consent for boys was fourteen. It was fourteen. So whatever you were made, doing, that would have made me like a freshman in high school. And yeah. fuck that guy. You know what? You're correct. All, all men husbands, if they're 14, suck. Yeah, well, you know, you got a 14-year-old husband. He's he's doing even less than... The um, average adult the, man. The average adult man, so... I mean, to be fair, most most teenagers, their their brains are cooking at a rate that is amazing. Um, so you can't really think while that's happening. Anyway, that brain souffle ain't done, baby. It's not done, dude. That's like it's like asking a defa- deflated balloon to float. You know, it just it physically can't. Uh, now that we know what I think of teenager brains, it's not their fault. <laughs> but anyway, um, I wasn't mentally prepared for marriage. But uh, the fact the fact that there were was no paperwork. And really no protections for women at this time. And in marriage meant that a woman forfeited her rights and was subordinated to her husband after one of these unions was formed. 
Um, I will have it be noted that while some 19th century wives did not, uh, some 19th century wives did object to being sold, there, uh, there are few records of women resisting before then. So it, it seems that like, for the most part, they were fine with this um, from the records that we can find. For uh, the most part, I don't think women had enough of a voice to say whether they were fine with it or not. Well, part of it seems like they, for the most part, like if you were selling your wife, you were kind of like either in too much debt to want to stay in the marriage or you were just wildly unhappy in it. So this was the way. So they were, the women were kind of fine with it because they were already unhappy. Yeah, that is what the sense that I was getting from this practice, like Divorce was expensive. Yeah, but I guess the other interesting part of that is... So, like, the part of this that I like, as far as, like, the women already being unhappy, is when they go to sell, then it's just, like, the guy that's interested in her is the one that buys her, and she's like, oh, cool, a person that I'm interested in, and, like, that works yeah. out. I feel bad for the women that are like, I'm miserable, and then <laughs> they get sold to a person that is not someone they know, and it's just like, oh, this is also Yeah, bad. like, that yeah. situation is why I have a problem. Like, I have a problem with the with the nomenclature right like it the way that this is worded is bad it should never have been wife selling but it sounds like naming it this was a a way to make like the quote-unquote divorce legal it was like a loophole right yeah like a loophole right. that they didn't have to pay for um right exactly. so anyway they they didn't like these women um you know, few of them did resist, and they usually didn't have the financial resources or skills. Um, and for many re women, it was the only way out of, like, an unhappy marriage, like I said. Um, yeah, so yeah. sometimes the wife even encouraged the sale. Uh, okay. For the husband, the sale released him from any marital and financial duties to the woman. And the purchaser, like I said, was often, like the wife's lover and the transaction freed him from the threat of legal action and restitution for property damage, quote unquote, the wife, um, Jeez. by the husband. So like you, you fuck another guy's wife. Technically he can sue you for damaging his property. Ugh. Yuck. <laughs> Big yuck. Um, so now you might be wondering how much a wife goes for. And the answer is that the price is varied, uh, much like Subarus. Um, <laughs> in the 1800s, wives could go for as high as 100 pounds, uh, while others were as little as free or a glass of ale. Those poor ladies, oh. I guess. I, I, I'm an ale's worth of a wife. Thanks. <laughs> I um I think it's so funny that they then like in the whole process of like you would often sell your not sell your daughter but like a dowry I mean, is that yeah, what I mean like it's essentially like right this is this is what I will offer you to like take my imagine daughter off someone my hands, yeah 
Yeah, imagine someone offering someone, like, a dowry of something, and then that same person sells her for, like, a pint of a ale. A pint Oh yeah. Ale. It's like, I, I mean, paid two sows for you to take her, and you selling her for a pint? Okay, but, like... But, like, it's worse for the people that are just giving them away. So, here's the other problem that I have with this. And it's it's not even a moral problem. It's a business transaction problem, <laughs> yeah, which, for business, me, makes me feel shitty. Big business but like, problem. At the same time, everybody loses except for the husband. Because, like, you get the dowry of, like... 13 sheep or whatever and then you're also like but i'm gonna make a hundred fucking g's off this too <laughs> i'm gonna make a yeah. hundred g's off this bitch like that's the great scheme right there is keep marrying keep getting dowries and keep selling well i imagine fucking so, female fucking nfts and that's bullshit so i can't confirm this right because like i didn't think of the business side of it but i i wonder if like it would get around that. I mean, probably, but that's why you have different aliases. You're a wife seller. You know? I promise I'm not a con man or a crimesman. I just know a good con when I see one. I just know a good grift, if you will. Um, so the usual price of wives seems to have hovered between two and five shillings, which I can't really give you the today's equivalent the 2020 well, money shillings equivalent. aren't a thing anymore they're an yeah, archaic right. form of money so we kind of stopped doing the conversion um we're wasting yeah. everyone's time uh it also <laughs> seems that while this practice was technically illegal most rural magistrates knew that it was happening but uncertain of its legitimacy turned a blind eye they were just like listen i don't know the laws even though i'm paid to be the lawman around here uh, I'm not going to read. Lawmen going up against crimes. Yeah, lawmen going up against crimes, man. It's a, it's a 50-50 about who's going to win. Um, it wasn't until the end of the 18th century that people began to view wife selling with some hostility. They were just like, hmm, I, something's not sitting right about this. Uh so I was like, imagine being mad about selling people like chattel, and it could be because more people were doing it. And it was being reported on in newspapers. So, like, the news was getting wind of this and was like, hey, have we heard about the wife selling practices? How are you feeling about it? Uh, and it was getting to bigger cities where it wasn't common. Um, oh, that being said, it looks Megan, like... Megan, how many shillings did you say it was? Two to five shillings? Do two we... to five? Yeah, two to five. Yeah. Okay, because from all of my quick research that I can find, uh, a shilling in silver is worth about $2.37 of silver. Nam. Today. Wow. So, like, five bucks for your wife. Five bucks for your wife. That's better than a fucking pint of ale. What if it's good ale? <laughs> I can't... I was going to say, today, I can't go down to a bar and get a pint for less than $7, so, um... That's, that's true. true. You're absolutely The right. ale is worth more than shillings. But I imagine back in the day... Yeah. Yes. It was like... We give... We yeah, give the shit away for free? half a shilling, and you can have an ale. Half a shilling. Um, I think it was like 10 pennies. Anyway. So, so all that being said... 
Uh, it looks like as divorce became more affordable, the cases of wife selling did decrease, with the last case being reported in 1913, where a wife was sold to one of her husband's workmates for a pound. Nice. Nice! Jeez. I would have rather been alewife. <laughs> not not that station's the tea garbage. stop. Anyway. Not the tea stop, but I... That's the only tea stop that I go yeah. to. Well... Why are you guys dragging? I'm not me like dragging. Because it's the it. red line. I. The red line is pretty garbage. It's it's better than the orange line. Okay, that's my that's line. Fair. The orange line is terrible. But listen, that's the only line I know. It's the we have orange line here. That is my line. But like, I I, I think this is as much as it's disgusting to me. It's also interesting because like, I also. And this is a practice that is still legal today. Like, the, the practice of, like, common law marriage. Yeah, where, yeah, like, you is... live together, you cohabitate for, like, seven years or something. And they're just like, you're married, there's no paperwork. I Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. I think New Hampshire is actually a, a, a state that still allows it. I, I think so, I too. I want to say Massachusetts might be as well. Massachusetts is not. I'm going to do a quick Google common search here. Common law <laughs> marriage. Mariage in Massachusetts. Uh, what is common law marriage? Does not common law marriage. Uh, Colorado, D.C., Iowa, Kansas, Montana, New Hampshire, Texas, and Utah. Man, live nice. together. Be careful, everyone. Your roommates in New Hampshire. <laughs> A polyamorous common law marriage. Yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that, like, by default? New Hampshire has accidentally, in its conservative practices, married so many polycules. Okay, but hear me out. You know how, like, with everything that's happened and all the Roe v. Wade stuff, not to get on a dark path, like, it, it, even, with path. That, even with that, like, women need to have their partner's consent for, like, so much bullshit? Yeah. The answer... The answer is, is polyamorous common law marriage. <laughs> polyamorous common law marriage really comes in clutch. We fixed it. Your roommate is now your partner and you are fine. All three of your roommates are now your partners. We didn't make the rules. New Hampshire did. Yeah. New Hampshire <laughs> said if you live together, with if you cohabitate for seven years, they do not specify with who you're married. And end of story. There you go. Gal you heard pals, it here, folks. Gal pals to wives real fast in a, in a cool seven years. <laughs> and then, you know, you can maybe don't sell them. Don't. Yeah, don't. Do I, um, do I get the feeling that we're spiraling now because we've run out of podcasts? No, I, I, think, I mean, I think that was a good, that was a good wrap up. Is the real... Is yeah. the real uh, just spinning on the? I think the thing. It's not quite spinning on the thing. We're not. We're not circling the drain. Uh, I do want to just make the point that uh, a fuck Napoleon. Yeah. Yes. B Robin Hood's cool. That's and true. And C don't sell your wife. Don't sell your wife. Don't sell your wife. <laughs> My wife. My, My wife. Who soon? Who became another man's wife? <laughs> Zach, do you want to do the thing about our socials yeah, while we're I here? I would love to do the Didn't thing. Didn't you already about our do that when I, I was coughing? I, I no. no. Oh. I, I gave you the respect you deserved and only promoted our Patreon. Oh, thanks. 
But if for some reason you found yourself at the end of the podcast and didn't listen to the middle, first off, how the fuck did you get here? How did you get here, though? Second, you... I don't even know. By all accounts, it doesn't make any sense. Did you steal the fucking Ford Tacoma? That If so, please return it to us post-haste. <laughs> but yeah, if you uh, are feeling snazzy and, you know, you're listening to us, so... And the whole series of gentlemen crimesmen, so you should be feeling snazzy, you should follow us on our socials. If you look us up on Facebook, The Triumvirate Productions, you'll find us there. Uh, if you look us up on the Instagrams uh, at the underscore triumvirate underscore productions. You can also find us on our Patreon where you can just look up the triumvirate productions on Patreon. Or you can go directly to the link which is patreon.com slash the triumvirate productions. Because, you know, let's get official. Make sure you put your HTTPS colon slash forward slash forward slash first because... And www whatever i'm i'm spiraling now but go follow us on our social medias uh and if you sign up for our patreon we have three five and ten dollar levels where you can get some fun bonuses including what the fuck after dark and show notes as well as just uncut episodes so you can hear everything together all of the shenanigans that run now for like an hour and a half because we're monsters no because we're monsters. we are monsters all right um and um, all right, now that Zach's done doing that, I'm going to do my bit, which concludes every episode, and I'm going to ask you, the listeners, sitting at home, to join in with me. Now, what's going to be difficult is that I'm I'm going to, there's going to be a little bit of a pause here, and I'm going to say the thing, and you just, I just have to hope that you're in sync with me right there at home. Okay, listeners, here we go. What the fuck, history? You did such a good job! Proud of you! Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.